Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. That is what the angels do for unbelievers. Yes, they are ministers of goodness to persuade them to come to Christ, but they are also ministers of judgment, and ultimately, they will be ministers of eternal damnation. But what do the angels do for us? How do they minister to those of us who inherit salvation? Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Wouldn't it be nice if every person received a guardian angel to protect and guide them in life? It is a popular belief among some Christians. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explores whether there's any real Bible basis for the concept of guardian angels. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message called Touched by an Angel. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to this very important edition of Pathway to Victory. It's Wednesday, December 28th, and I'm teaching from the book of Hebrews today and again tomorrow. Now, to help you make God's Word the centerpiece of your life in the coming new year, I've written a daily devotional for you. It's more than 500 pages in length, and it's designed to center your heart and mind on the Bible every weekday in 2023. And when you give a generous year-end gift to support the expanding ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive a leather-bound copy right away. But you need to respond before midnight Saturday night. Remember, New Year's Eve is also the deadline for doubling the impact of your gift. The Light in the Darkness Matching Challenge is active, but only until midnight on Saturday. So please be sure to respond before then. We're asking God to work mightily through friends like you to help us reach the amazing goal of $525,000. Your gift today of $100 will be matched until it becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000. A $5,000 gift would actually be matched until it became $10,000. Whatever you give will have twice the impact. Plus, you'll also receive the 2023 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. David and I will repeat this information later in the program. But right now, let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 1. I titled today's message, Touched by an Angel. Angels are a very real and a very powerful force in the world today. And we're going to begin looking at what the angels do for us as well as for others. What do the angels do on our behalf? Before we begin looking at what the angels do for Christians, I want us to look tonight at, first of all, what the angels do for unbelievers. Do you know angels perform three ministries for unbelievers? They do, and we need to look and see what the Scripture says is the role of the angels in the life of non-Christians. First of all, the Bible teaches that angels are ministers of God's goodness to non-Christians. Some years ago, a well-known Baptist minister made the statement, he said, God does not hear the prayer of the Jew. And it was a statement that caused a great deal of controversy. He went on to explain that God can only hear the prayer of Christians. Is that true? Can God only hear the prayer of Christians? 
The truth is God can answer the prayer of non-Christians. And not only that, sometimes He sends angels to minister to the unbeliever. Now before you run me out of town as a heretic, let me explain what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about common grace. Common grace is the blessings that God pours out on non-Christians as well as Christians. One illustration of common grace is found in Acts chapter 14, verses 15 and 17. Paul was preaching to those who worshipped the Greek god Zeus. And uh, he was trying to point them to the real God. And look at what he said in Acts 14, verse 16 to these worshipers of Zeus. He said, And in the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, God did not leave Himself without witness, in that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He said, God has made Himself evident by all of the abundance that He provides, not only His own people, but unbelievers alike. The rains didn't only come to Christians, they came to non-Christians as well. It rains on the just and the unjust. The point is that God blesses, in a general way, unbelievers as well as believers. Now the question is, why would God do that? Why would God bless unbelievers? I thought God hates sinners. I thought He hates unbelievers. Not at all. God loves sinners. Isn't that the whole theme of uh, Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son? God doesn't hate sinners. He loves sinners. He chases after them. As the Old Testament says, For I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I desire that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, for why will you die? God loves sinners. And He does everything He can to lead sinners to repentance. And one way God shows His love towards sinners, unbelievers, is pouring out His blessings on them so that they might be attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 speaks of the grace of God that leads us to repentance. One way God leads unbelievers to repentance is by pouring out a measure of His grace and goodness on them so that they can get a taste of what a relationship with God is all about. But hear me tonight. If you're here in this sanctuary, or watching on television, and you're not a Christian, don't confuse God's common grace with His saving grace. The fact that God has blessed you the fact that He may have answered a prayer of yours, the fact that He might have prevented you from suffering an accident, the fact that He has blessed you does not mean all is right between you and God. The only way you can be a child of God is through trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason God may have answered that prayer request of yours or poured out some blessing on you is to lead you to an intimate relationship with Himself, a relationship only possible through Jesus Christ. The grace of God leads us to repentance. So first of all, angels are ministers of goodness to unbelievers. Secondly, they are ministers of judgment. They are ministers of judgment. Turn over to Acts chapter 12 for just a moment. 
When you look in the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, you will find that angels are ministers of God's judgment. For example, in Genesis 19, it was the angels who brought about the destruction of those great cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the ten plagues that fell upon Egypt, God dispatched the angels to bring about those ten plagues on Egypt. We think about in 2 Kings 19, the killing of 185,000 Assyrians on a single night that was accomplished by the angels. By the way, did you know in the Great Tribulation, it will be the angels who bring those judgments down. It's the angels who unleash God's destruction on the world. But not only do the angels bring destruction to uh, groups of people or even nations of people, he also brings judgment to unbelievers individually. We have a good illustration of that in Acts chapter 12. The setting is this. King Herod, one of the most evil kings of the New Testament, had just delivered a particularly uh, charismatic speech and the people were so enthralled with Herod's speech that they said in verse 22, Why, he's not a human, he must be a God, the voice of a God and not that of a man. You know what? God absolutely refuses to share his glory with anyone. And so verse 23 says, And immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod because he did not give God the glory Whenever we usurp God's glory, he has no patience for it at all. Immediately the angel struck him because he did not give God the glory and Herod was eaten by worms and he died. The cause of Herod's death was he was touched by an angel in a very bad way. The angel was a minister of judgment. Thirdly, how does the angel relate to the unbeliever? Angels are ministers of eternal death. They are ministers of eternal death. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13 for just a moment. Matthew 13 verses 49 and 50. The Bible says that angels will be the final executioner of all unbelievers. You remember that in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne judgment, all unbelievers are raised for their judgment before God. And verse 15 of Revelation 20 says, If any man's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire, where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever but how is it that that unbeliever gets from the great white throne judgment and is deposited into that lake of fire? It is through an angel. Look at verses 49 and 50 of Matthew 13. Jesus said, So it will be at the end of the age that the angel shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a horrible thought, but do you realize that the last thing an unbeliever will see before he is deposited into that horrible lake of fire will be the face of an angel. That is what the angels do for unbelievers. Yes, they are ministers of goodness to persuade them to come to Christ, but they are also ministers of judgment and ultimately they will be ministers of eternal damnation but what do the angels do for us? How do they minister to those of us who inherit salvation? Before we answer that question, 
I want to look at an issue that's highly debated in this whole area of angiology, and that is the question of guardian angels. Do Christians have a guardian angel? You know, some of the finest Bible teachers in the land believe that God has assigned a special angel to work on our behalf, our guardian angel. It was the 13th century theologian, Thomas Aquinas, who specialized in the study of angels, and he certainly taught that believers have guardian angels. Where do people come up with that idea? Basically, there are three passages of Scripture that people use to support this idea of a guardian angel. First of all, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus uh, was speaking to a crowd, and he called for a little child, verse 2, to come and sit on his lap. And in verse 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that are unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. The Bible says children don't need to become more like adults to be saved. Adults need to become like children to be saved. But Jesus warned very severely against doing anything to prohibit a child from coming to faith in Christ. He warns parents, he warns Sunday school teachers, he warns anyone about being a stumbling block to a child. Look at verse 10. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. As we read that verse, it seems very apparent that God uses angels... To protect children. I imagine every parent could point to a time when your child, especially when they were young, were protected from some tragic accident. How do you explain that protection? The Bible says God uses His angels to minister to children. That's what verse 10 says here. They have angels in heaven that continually behold the face of God the Father. But here's the question. Does this verse imply that they only have one angel to protect them? Well, let's go on. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 12, verse 15. This is another passage used to talk about guardian angels. You remember the setting for this? It was the first few years of the church's explosive growth. James, the half-brother of Jesus, had already been put to death for his preaching of the gospel, and Peter had been put into prison. Verse 7 says, And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in Peter's cell, and he struck Peter's side and aroused him, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off of his hands. With that very time, there were a group of the Christian followers who were meeting in the house of Mary and they were having a prayer meeting for Peter's release from prison. Now look at what happens in verse 12. Peter goes to that prayer meeting. He knocks on the door. Rhoda, a little servant girl, leaves the prayer circle. She goes and answers the door and there she sees Peter. Verse 14 says, And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't even open the gate, but went back and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. Now look at their reaction. Verse 15, And they said to her, You're out of your mind. You're crazy. 
Now, isn't that so like us? We pray and pray and pray and pray that God will do something miraculous. And when he answers, we can't believe it really happened. That's exactly what happened to these Christians. They didn't believe that it was really Peter. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was he. And they kept saying, it must be what? His angel. His angel. Now, is this passage teaching that Peter had a guardian angel? Maybe. But perhaps a better explanation is they thought it was Peter's spirit that was standing there. I mean, after all, Rhoda heard this voice speaking in Peter's voice. Does it stand to reason that the guardian angel would be using Peter's voice to speak? Probably not. Probably this passage is talking about, they thought mistakenly, that it was Peter's spirit. There's one other passage in the Bible that seems to talk about guardian angels, and that's over in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 13. 11 to 13. Turn over there. You're going to recognize these words immediately. Psalm 91, verse 11. For he, God, will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You remember this is the passage that Satan used to try to tempt Jesus to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple to prove that he was the Messiah. And Satan quoted this verse saying, look, God said he will give his angels charge concerning you. His angels will protect you. You know, in his book on angels, Dr. Level rightly points out that this verse, this passage is not a messianic psalm. That is, this is not a psalm that relates only to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a psalm for every believer. The psalmist says that God gives his angels charge, the care concerning every believer. The Bible says that angels are sent to protect us, to guard us, and to provide for our every need. He gives his angels charge concerning us. I had a great illustration of that in my own life a number of years ago. Actually, I was only about three years old at the time. As I've told you before, my dad used to work for Braniff Airlines. And when I was about three years of age, my dad was in Houston on business doing something. And I believe it was a Friday afternoon. He was on his way back from Houston. And being an employee of the airline, he went, uh, as you pilots here know, he went non-revenue, space available. If there was an empty seat, he could fly free of charge. Uh, the flight wasn't full that day. And uh, my dad uh, got a seat, a non-revenue seat, and he called home telling us he was on this particular flight. At the very last moment, a paying passenger showed up and took my dad's seat on that airplane. He was understandably perturbed about being left in Houston, not being home for the weekend. That is, until a little while later when he heard what had happened. That Braniff Airliner Electra four-engine plane crashed right outside of Houston in Buffalo, Texas, killing everybody on board that plane. What is it that caused that man to suddenly be able to arrive to the airport just in time to catch that flight. How do you explain the fact that my dad wasn't on that airliner? I believe it was the angels that protected my dad. You say, well, what about the person who got on the airliner? It's not that God loved him any less than he loved my dad. 
But God had a perfect plan for my father's life, just like he did for that other person's life. And I believe he miraculously used the angels to protect him to accomplish God's plan for his life. Yes, God uses angels. God has a plan for our life, but he uses the angels to accomplish that plan. But here's the question at hand. Does God have one angel to protect us? Not necessarily. I think uh, John Calvin is probably right when he concludes that whether we have one angel or not to protect us is really not that important. Calvin writes, If anyone does not think it enough to know that all the orders of the heavenly host are perpetually watching for our safety, I do not see what we could gain by knowing that he has one angel as a special guardian. Let me paraphrase what Calvin is saying. He's saying the only thing better than knowing we have one guardian angel is knowing that we have many guardian angels who are working constantly on our behalf. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent on behalf of those who will inherit salvation? I remember a few years ago going to the hospital to visit one of our members that was getting ready to go through a round of chemotherapy. When I walked into the room, I noticed something written on that little uh, uh, chalkboard, that dry erase board that they have in the hospital room. A day earlier, this woman's grandson had come to visit her, and he had written this verse on the board. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God said, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity. My plan is to give you a future and a hope. Ladies and gentlemen, teenagers here tonight, do you understand God loves you? And because He loves you, He has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not a plan for heartache. It's not a plan that is ensured to make you miserable in life. His plan for you is a wonderful plan beyond anything that you could ever ask for or imagine. God has a plan for your life. And He uses the angels, His angels in heaven, to accomplish that plan on behalf of those who will one day inherit salvation. No matter what life brings your way, you can be sure it's all part of God's plan. And when necessary, He calls on His special agents, the angels, to accomplish His plan in your life. This is one of the major themes in the Bible wherever we find a reference to angels. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of today's program, time is running short to request your copy of the brand new 2023 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. It's designed to help you engage in God's Word every day in the new year. The Daily Devotional is my gift to you when you give toward the matching challenge that's active for a few more days. We're in a race to the finish line, asking God to help us reach the goal of $525,000 by midnight this Saturday, New Year's Eve. This means that we have the opportunity to amass over $1 million as an arsenal to unleash in the coming year, reaching more people than ever before with the truth of God's Word. Just recently, for example, we had the opportunity to translate our television program into Slavic languages so that we could telecast Pathway to Victory in Ukraine and Russia 
and we jumped at this invitation because we know God will use Pathway to Victory to reach people who might never hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And we could do this because of the generous financial support from people just like you. Please, take down our contact information and allow your generous year-end gift to have twice the impact, as together we push back the darkness in our world with the living and active light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous year-end gift toward our Light in the Darkness Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2023. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also include the complete CD and DVD sets for Celebrate the Savior, a brand new series from Pathway to Victory featuring favorite messages from Dr. Jeffress about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. The CD also includes beautiful Christmas music from the First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. Remember, because of our Light in the Darkness matching challenge, your gift will effectively be doubled in impact by another generous donor. But the clock is ticking, and this opportunity ends December 31st at midnight. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, then be sure to jot down this mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. If God uses angels to accomplish His plan in our lives, then we shouldn't be surprised by encounters with God's invisible forces. And next time, we'll begin looking at four practical ways in which angels minister to Christians. Don't miss this fascinating message called The Angels and You. That airs Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.